Welcome to another episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I'm a research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As regular listeners will know at this point, we release three different types of podcasts. Our 10-minute lesson series aims to educate and inform listeners on a particular area of policy, giving a brief overview of somewhere in the range of 8 to 15 minutes and hitting on the key points that people need to know. Our seminar series provides opportunities to listen back to some of the most important presentations of past events and our interview series. So this week is one of those. On Monday of this week, the 24th of May 2021, we released issue nine of our employment monitor series with a focus on post-pandemic unemployment. In this episode, my friend and colleague Colette Bennett and I will talk through the key findings and the policy implications of those findings. We hope you enjoy it. We have just published our employment monitor and we might begin at the beginning if you can actually explain what that is. Yeah, so the employment monitor, as you know, it's a briefing from Social Justice Ireland and what it does is it looks at Ireland's employment situation. So, you know, the employment numbers, any significant trends, you know, and any other kind of aspects of the, the economy or the macro economy. And, Basically, what we intend to do with that is to to highlight things that may be of issue and to make recommendations um, for for policy. So, you know, goals around maybe increasing employment or certain sectoral things that need to be done. Um, So the one that we published on Monday, the the 24th of May, was specific to COVID-19. And it looked at the impact of COVID-19 in Ireland on employment um, and specifically those who don't expect to return to their their previous jobs. And it's based on CSO Labour Force Survey data. That's where you get all of the raw numbers from. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So a bit about, I suppose, what the Labour Force Survey is for people who may not know it. Um, It's a quarterly release from the Central Statistics Office, the CSO, um, and it's where we get all of our Labour Force data. So our employment numbers and our employment and unemployment rates, um, that all comes from this this quarterly survey that the CSO do. Um, And huge thanks to Jim Dalton, actually, in in the CSO for providing the data for this particular monitor, because what they did... um, they, they, because of COVID and the impact that it's having in relation to unemployment numbers, they publish kind of the real unemployment numbers and then the COVID-related unemployment numbers. So they've been publishing kind of these special bulletins as well. And the bulletin that was published at the end of last year, Bulletin 5, um, to go along with the, the Labour Force survey, the, the usual um, document that they send out, it asked additional questions about respondents' expectations of returning to their same job post-COVID. So they published that, as I said, the end of, of or sorry, in relation to the end of last year, but actually um, around March of this year, they published that. And, you know, it, it contained a really interesting statistic that 21% of those whose employment had been impacted by COVID didn't expect to return to the same job. So when we saw that, we decided we'd do a bit of digging into what that actually meant, because that's a really significant number of people, potentially. Um, you know, and, and as it turns out, it is a really significant number of people. But it was just, I suppose, to look at, well, what policies are going to be needed to 
to stop there being a huge, huge unemployment crisis. You know, what, what interventions are needed now as we start looking at reopening, as we start, you know, looking at tapering down the pandemic unemployment payment and the employee wage subsidy scheme and what needs to be to be implemented really so that we don't have this, this explosion in unemployment numbers. Just so I'm understanding it clearly, you've kind of got three different sets of unemployment figures. You have people who are accessing the job seekers payments who are unemployed in the traditional sense of it. You have people who are currently out of work because of the pandemic and they're getting a pandemic payment. And then you've got people again who maybe aren't able to go to work because of the pandemic and are getting half funded by social welfare, half funded by their employer, and that's the employee subsidy. So what you're looking at is those two, the people on the pandemic payment and the people on the wage subsidy, who when things open up and when things return to what passes for normal, won't be able to go back to work and will be moving off those payments and then going on to straightforward job seekers. That, that's, that's what we're looking at here, isn't it? That movement. It's actually a bit more than that. Um, so the the estimation by the CSO is that over 1.2 million people aged between 15 and 64 were impacted by COVID, sorry, had their employment impacted mm -hmm. by COVID. So to put that in context in terms of those two payments that you mentioned, the PUP and the EWSS, it's about twice the number of the people that were on those two payments at the end of 2020 combined. Okay. So that, that 1.2 million people, it includes um, people who may be in receipt of the pandemic unemployment payment. It includes people whose wages are being subsidised by the employee wage subsidy scheme. And it also includes people who were in employment before COVID and because of COVID um, are now not in employment or were temporarily out of employment, but who couldn't access those schemes for, for whatever reason. Okay, okay. So the focus then of the monitor was to look at what impact it will have or it may have just on that cohort who aren't likely to return to work. So the numbers then, when you looked at the numbers, you're able to sort of see who these people are, where they live, age, gender, that type of thing. Can you give us a flavour of what you found? Yep. So of that 1.2 million people who had their employment uh, impacted by COVID, as I said, 21% of those don't expect to, to return to the same job post-COVID. So if there aren't employment opportunities that they can take up, um, that is an additional over quarter of a million people, an additional almost 255,000 people in addition to the, the standard unemployment number. So you're looking at about um, 349,000 people overall who may be unemployed, and that equates to about 16.1% of the labour force. So that's an unemployment rate we haven't seen since the mid 80s, since 1986. It's a higher unemployment rate than we saw at the height of the, the post 2008 economic recession. Um, and again, because of the volumes that we're talking about, because of the numbers that we're talking about, it's, it's really important that we catch that as early as possible because there's been plenty and plenty of studies that talk about the fact that people who are you know, far away from the labour market for a long period of time, so people who are long-term unemployed and that, um, that they find it very difficult to take up opportunities when they, when they are available. So it's really important to catch it and catch it fast. The fact that um, a, a, you know, a high proportion of them are also younger workers 
is again, you know, it's it's a reason for for getting in there and doing something in relation to the policy. So in terms of, I suppose, age, we'll start with, um, we know, for example, that COVID-19 in terms of employment has disproportionately impacted younger workers. And that's 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 true in the data that we're looking at as well in our employment monitor. But it's, you know, it's been widely reported by other think tanks and by by the media. Um, so of the almost 220, sorry, 255,000 people who don't expect to go back to um, their job, almost 112,000 of those, about 44%, were aged between 15 and 34. Um, so, you know, again, we see that that's a, a significant proportion who are in the, the younger age bracket. Ireland had a, a problem with youth unemployment anyway, pre-pandemic. So this is just going to, to make that worse. So we, we need to make sure that there are age-related policies. And I know we're going to talk about the policy side of things in a minute, um, but we may need to make sure that they are put in place. What might be surprising for some people, and was certainly surprising for me when I saw it, um, was that older workers mm. are also disproportionately impacted. So of those in the 60 to 64 age bracket, the kind of traditionally pre-retirement age bracket, um, of those that were impacted, more than one in five of those don't expect to return to work. And they're in a very different space um, to those, you know, to the younger cohort because they, you know, we're, we're looking at people who will at least have rent, they may well have mortgages, they may have families, um, and they're looking towards retirement um, in unemployment. So, you know, it's going to be more difficult for them to access opportunities uh, in the workforce if those opportunities arrive. So again, this is a real policy challenge and something that needs to be planned for now so that we can make sure that we're not going to have this, this um, large proportion of older workers um, having their last few years post or pre-retirement in unemployment. And then gender, I suppose what was interesting was that more men than women had been affected, but there was more women who didn't expect to go back to work. Yeah. So, you know, when we looked at that breakdown, there were um, just over 50% of that 1.2 million that we talked about were men. So it's about 623,000 men compared to 603,000 women. So a difference of, of 20,000 people. Um, but when we looked at those who didn't expect to return to the same job, um, almost 50% more women than men didn't expect to return to work post-COVID. So um, that's a really interesting piece for me. And, and, and certainly, you know, it, it kind of tallies with some of the work that the National Women's Council of Ireland did uh, late last year when they looked at the, the caring roles and where the responsibilities lay during COVID. So we know, for example, schools being shut. We had our children home. Um, you know, there was there was homeschooling. There was no after school. So we were you know, taking care of all of that as well. And the, the vast majority of that fell to women. Um, and also, you know, it, it, caring responsibilities aren't confined to children. There are people with, with older relatives who also needed some supports. Um, so, you know, we, we know for a fact that, that a lot of that fell to women, as I say. So it's not surprising, but at the same time, the data is so stark um, that almost 50% more women than men don't expect to return to their same job post-COVID. Um, you know, and it's it's also interesting that, you know, at the time that this data, and it was captured between 
October and December 2020. So it spans kind of three three months um, that over half of the men whose employment was impacted had already returned to their jobs. So within that, that section of the survey, it asked, you know, about the expectations of returning to work. One of the responses was, yes, um, I do expect to return to work. The other was, yes, and I'm already in work. And then there was the no, I don't respect, I don't expect to, to return to the same job. Um, so it is interesting that over half of, of the men whose employment was impacted had already returned to their, their previous job. The data also breaks down the jobs by sector. So you could see, I mean, it's no surprise, I suppose, that hospitality and retail were impacted but it's the it's the sectors that don't expect to go back to work I thought was quite surprising yeah so as you say it's it's broken down using what's called a NACE classification system and that that's the classification system that's used by the central statistics office that classifies economic activity so um so some of the, the groupings might seem a bit a bit off but they essentially you know when we look at at the sectors the sectors that were most affected, so of that 1.2 million people again, um, were the wholesale and retail trade, um, followed by industry, then education, and then human health and social work. So, you know, they, they were the, the most affected, they were the highest um, proportions of that 1.2 million people. But as you say, um, you know, everybody's kind of being very conscious of retail, very conscious of accommodation. But when you look at then those sectors that don't expect or that have a high number of people who don't expect to return to their job, um, you know, you're actually looking at the information and communication sector, which fares the worst that had almost 44,000 people who don't expect to return to the same job. Then you have human health and social work at almost 31,000, and then the, the wholesale and retail trade sector at over 29,000 people. Um, and while that first that might seem strange, if you think about the impact that COVID has had on the working life, you know, we're, we're on Zooms, we're on Teams, we're on all manner of um, electronic mediums of, of communication. And that obviously required that these sectors ramped up their employment, that they actually, you know, had a, a bigger workforce to take account of demand. Um, then as people start to, to move back to their offices, as, as you know, things start to open up again, there's less demand for this workforce. Mm. So it does kind of make sense when you think about it in that way, yeah. that these are the roles that, that will suffer um, post-COVID. Similarly enough, then in the human health and social work, and as I said, you know, they expect to lose um, 31,000 or, or 31,000 people in those sectors don't expect to return to their job. And again, you know, capacity in the health sector, obviously, was increased to take account of, of the necessary health measures for COVID. Now, certainly, you know, when we look at the pre-COVID issues around healthcare, we know, for example, that it is, is grossly under-resourced anyway. So while these people don't expect to return to their job, um, there does need to be sectoral improvements, certainly in, in healthcare. So we would hope that some of them at least would be able to transfer to, to new jobs that are needed, particularly in things like community health networks, um, you know, and, and, and supports around things like mental health services that are all going to be desperately needed once we come through the pandemic. And then the last piece of the puzzle, I suppose the last Venn diagram is where these people currently live so what parts of the country 
are most affected. So again, if you can expand on that for me. Yep. So, you know, it's broken down into regions um, and certainly when, you know, we've we've been doing some interviews on this and and people always want to know about their county. um, But other than Dublin, which is a region of its own, um, it's broken just down into regional basis. So, you know, we saw after the the last recession that Dublin and the Eastern Seaboard recovered kind of quicker than than the rest of the regions. However, with this of the 255,000 people who don't expect to return to the same um, job. You know, the, the majority are in, in Dublin. In fact, Dublin's unemployment may well rise um, to 21%. Um, the next worst, I suppose, would then be in the Southeast region at 16.7%. So it's, you know, these are, are, are huge increases when we think of what the, the pre-pandemic unemployment rates were. So if you look at Dublin, for example, um, when you talk about an unemployment rate, you were talking at uh, 6.2%. So to go from 6.2 to 21% is a huge jump. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a very severe crisis. Um, same then for Southeast, as I said, you know, they're going to go from, or potentially going to go from 5.8% to 16.7%. It's a huge, and for every region across the country, you're looking at at least doubling, if not trebling or more, uh, the pre-pandemic unemployment rate. Um, you know, so it's 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 a, a really significant shift in terms of, of what's going to be required. And that's, that's, that's the key thing, really, isn't it? Like the, the, what is required and because one size doesn't fit all, you've got all of these different cohorts who have been impacted. It's going to require lots of different policy approaches, which I suppose leads me on, as you said, and, you know, we had said at the beginning, we would touch on, on the policy, we, you know, the policy proposals. But that's how that's how we've set out our policy proposals is to look at each of these bit by bit. So um, can you run down then, I suppose, how how we've structured our policy proposals and, and the ways that we're looking at the proposals we've made? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I suppose, again, it's it's about trying to avoid the mistakes of the past. So as I said, when we looked at the regions um, and we saw that Dublin and, and the east of the, the country recovered better than the other regions um, after the 2008 recession. Um, We're seeing that they're the worst hit now, but every region has been impacted. So that raises two major concerns. The first being the sustainability of the jobs that were created in Dublin and and the Eastern Seaboard following the crash, Um, but also how long it's going to take the other regions, the ones that are still recovering from 2008, to to regain those job losses if these do come to pass. Um, And if there aren't, you know, sufficient policies put in place to to support that. So in terms of, I suppose, the policy recommendations that we have, you say, you know, we've broken them down into the different areas that we've looked at in the monitor. So for sectoral policies, we're looking at resourcing the upskilling of people who are unemployed or who are at risk of, of becoming unemployed um, through integrating training and labour market programmes. And that has to happen on the job as well as, as you know, companies and businesses become, like that, that terrible word, more agile, um, that they make sure that they're bringing their staff along with them, that they're actually upskilling as they go. Um, same then in, in, you know, for sectoral policies to, to launch that, that investment that we need prioritizing you know social infrastructure initiatives so again that brings 
employment and economic activity into the regions. Um, you know, because if it's done at a, a kind of a, a local scale, then you're bringing kind of local economies together. Um, so, you know, things that like school building programs, social housing, things that we call for in Social Justice Ireland all the time, um, you know, that can actually drive local and regional uh, employment. Then in terms of, of gender related policies and just to, you know, acknowledge the fact that that women have these these dual roles and, and have taken on this this care responsibility. We need to address the obstacles that are facing women when they return to the labor force, if they can return to the labor force. So, you know, focusing on care initiatives, focusing on flexible employment and the provision of, of information and training so that you know women can make the decisions that they need to make on returning to work. Um, then for age-related policies, you know, to, to address the issue of youth unemployment, as I said, it was an issue pre-pandemic. It's looking likely to be a much bigger issue um, as things return to normal. Um, you know, and that should include education as well, you know, in, in terms of education and literacy initiatives, as well as the retraining schemes. Um, and, you know, to, to try and, and retain people in the education system, because we know, for example, that there is that connection between um, education and poverty. So the, the lower the rate of, or sorry, the lower the level of education, the higher the likelihood of a, a poverty risk. So to try and combat that, um, we need to invest in human capital and, you know, targeted education and training programs, especially for, for older workers and those who might be in vulnerable employment. Um, you know, and that, that's you know, to do with things like automation and globalization, as well as a pandemic. Uh, we also need to include older workers in traineeships and and other you know labour market activity programmes. And it's interesting you know that the department launched their action plan for apprenticeships this month in May 2021, but there's nothing in it um, that gives an indication as to to who it's for necessarily. We always think about apprenticeships as younger workers, so. We'd very much like the clarity that that action plan for apprenticeships is expanded and it's open to all age groups to account for those older workers whose employment is, is certainly at risk. Then on a, a regional basis, um, we need to invest in, in upskilling lower skilled workers, particularly in rural regions, because that has been shown by the OECD to have a greater impact on regional economic development than investing in increasing the number of highly skilled workers. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really important that those who are termed kind of lower skilled or unskilled um, are, are upskilled and, you know, that, that that potential is fostered, I suppose. Um, we need to focus investment on education and training for people in those roles and, and those who are unemployed in rural areas as part of an overall kind of regional employment strategy um, and make sure that those jobs are sustainable. As I said, you know, the, the, the areas that recovered best post 2008 were the areas that were worst hit. Um, so, it's, you know, there's a real question mark over the sustainability of those jobs. So we need, when we talk about kind of creating new jobs, that we're really talking about decent work that pays a, a decent wage. Um, and then that we, you know, finally on the regional point, that we invest in the rollout of decent broadband and transport systems so that people who live in very rural areas um, can actually 
access the the opportunities if they if and when they arrive and they can you know access education and skills development so you know that that becomes really important in the in the employment space and in the education and training space and then you know there there are kind of the more general work related policies that need to be implemented and again this all kind of speaks to the very sustainability of employment so you know recognize the challenge of long term unemployment and precarious employment and target you know policies at those areas because again as i said it's much more difficult to get back into the into work and get back into employment the longer you have been unemployed um we need to expand funded programs that support communities um so that they can can meet the growing pressures and that that whole area around supporting social infrastructure is really important um we need to establish new program targeting those who are very long term employed so those kind of five years or more, ensure that, sorry, all times that policy seeks to make um, new jobs have reasonable pay rates and that they're adequately resourced. And as part of that, to resource the labour inspectorate to make sure that there is someone who's enforcing the the standards that, that should be applied across employment. And we need to adopt policies to address the working poor issue. And we know consistently we have in and around 100,000 people who are in employment and at risk of poverty. Um, so we need to look at that and particularly around reforming taxation and, and making the, the two main income taxes refundable. And this is a, a big push by, by Social Justice Ireland. We've been on this for quite some time around, you know, making refundable tax credits. And it would it would greatly impact the lives of people who are on very, very low incomes because, you know, you have to be on a very low income not to use all of your tax credit. Um, so, you know, if this is really something that is just for, for very poor households. Um, we need to develop employment friendly income tax policies and ensure that no unemployment traps exist. So we hear all the time that people are better off on welfare. Well, that shouldn't be the case. Um, you know, and if that was the case, then that's a policy failure. We need to make sure that policies ease that transition from unemployment to employment, particularly for people who are on, you know, particular payments. So those um, who are on kind of um payments tied to disability or, or payments tied to their their household status and then finally on that point reducing you know the barriers that are faced by people on disability in getting employment so particularly addressing that current situation where there are many that might lose their benefits including their medical card if they took employment opportunities up i think that's the key thing really is that even though this is about employment and jobs it's about policies across education, across health, across transport, across just transition, across climate change, across sustainability, across environment. You know, every single department really needs to factor into their policies moving forward that to ensure, I suppose, that, you know, that they are working towards minimizing the impact on, I suppose, on, on all of society if, if these people are left to flounder without anything being done. Um, you know, I, I suppose when I think back to the 80s and I think back to those jobs, we just left, you know what I mean? That, that's what we did. And, and that option isn't open to anybody anymore. So it is vital that these policies are enacted upon and that we don't see a return to either the recession of the 80s or the recession of 2008. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's we we need to recognize that point that you, you've absolutely made there in terms of like all policies are interrelated, yeah. no matter what. And anybody who's ever heard me talk about policy ever um, are going to roll their eyes at this. But, you know, it's the bread analogy. You cannot buy a loaf of bread without being impacted by policy from what's in it to how it's priced, to how it's packaged, to all of those things. Policy affects everybody and every policy has some level of interaction with another one and that's why when we go on and we talk about kind of the social contract and how you know we have those five pillars that have to to be you know developed and and promoted simultaneously it's because to do one without the other is to fail so you know when you when you're talking about employment you are talking about education you are talking about training you are talking about pensions policy into the future you're talking about housing you're talking about sustainable communities you're talking about the environment you know you're also talking about governance in terms of you know how do we make sure that the things that should be put in place are put in place and they're put in place properly and um, and how do we ensure that people who deserve a voice at the table get one so that they can you know have those conversations around their living situation around their employment situation, around their poverty situation, and all of those things, they are so interrelated. Kalesa, thank you so much. That was really, really interesting. And it makes such a difference, I suppose, to, to discuss the, the monitor as opposed to reading it. So I just think it, it definitely brought so much more of that to life. So thank you very much. And if anybody's interested in digging down more into the data, it's on our website, www.socialjustice.ie. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me, Suzanne. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you have any ideas for future podcasts, any areas that you would like to see us discuss or delve into, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your suggestions. Until next time, stay safe.